Parenting's hard, you don't know what to do. You're blaming your kids, but it's probably you. You love your kids and that you can trust. Just remember your kids don't suck. Welcome to your kids don't suck. Cultivating closeness with your children through non-coercive conscious parenting. We're your hosts, Kara Tedstone and Rathia Lee. Let's dive in and grow together. Welcome to episode four of Your Kids Don't Suck. We're so happy you've stayed with us, that you're learning with us, that you're growing with us. We're having an amazing experience. It's so rich. It's so fulfilling. It's so enlivening. It's so challenging. We're just, we just can't get enough of it. We have so many different ideas for, for what we want to share. And so today, the topic is... Your kids don't suck. <laughs> the trauma and trigger episode. So exploring trauma and triggers and how they're connected and how it relates to parenting. And especially in a non-authoritarian conscious way. Kara and I are going to tell a little bit about our traumas and how we've healed from them and also continue to heal from them and the, you know, the hard parts. And then also how that's affected us as parents, meeting our child where they're at, dealing with our emotions, and definitely dealing with triggers. Triggers are the key point in parenting that differentiates a reactive parent and a conscious parent because, you know, that's when we start passing down our hurts, our wounds, is when we get uh, so triggered that we can't help but do what was done to us. And it's hard for everybody. So this is how we've done it. And so I'm going to start, I want to give a little content warning that I'm just going to refer to some heavy trauma. I'm not going to talk about anything graphic, but I am going to mention childhood sexual abuse because that's a big part of my story. So if that's hard for you just to do what you need to ground yourself or skip this part or hold yourself in some way. And I think it's important for you to know who are your hosts and what, what have they been through? Why do they, why do they get to tell you things? You know, where are they coming from? So uh, for me, it's always really hard for me to talk about my childhood. I, I can barely do it. I, I swear I can barely do it because it's so extreme that it's, um, I always feel like I'm going to shock and hurt people. <laughs> so I, I mean, I have all my close friends. I have my, my family of choice and we're, we're all trauma survivors and we all refer to our trauma. And I have my partner who's also a trauma survivor. And so I have found my arenas. I have all my clients who are trauma survivors, <laughs> you know, so there's, there are worlds and places where what I talk about makes sense, but just in the general public, even to say I'm an incest survivor, is just so provocative. It's so out of the box. I'm not even supposed to say that. I'm not even supposed to say I'm an incest survivor, but I am. And it's still sad 30 years later of doing hardcore therapy work on that. It's still so sad. I could just cry right now, even though I'm so used to it. I'm so used to my story. But I will say I left home when I was 16. I can say that I fled. I really fled my home. I barely made it out. It was a cult environment and I had been sexually abused through my whole childhood. And I honestly cannot tell you how I made it out. I don't know. I really don't know. 
But I left home when I was 16. I went to go live with a friend and her mom. I did finish going to school. I went to a performing arts high school in Philadelphia. I danced a lot. I was really um, manically engaged with dance. <laughs> and that really kept me alive my whole life. I just love it. I still love it. And um, when I was 16, I started to train myself to cry because I had never cried my whole life that I could remember. And I started to train myself to turn on music and cry. And I started waking up my internal life. And then when I was 24, uh, someone told me about being abused by my father and I started having flashbacks and I started the long journey of recovering repressed memories. Um, which came in like explosions into my psyche and forced me to have to like cut off contact with my family of origin and really never go back. So then just to fast forward and not tell you like all everything I was in like, you know, it's been 20, it's been 30 years. It's been 30 years since I really started intensive therapy and I have many different therapists, but I also had a zillion other tools. I was in 12-step groups. I was an artist. I journaled. I did authentic movement, which is a movement practice. I did all kinds of meditation. I mean, everything you could think of. I was just like trying to function by healing as fast as I could. And that led to being trained in something called inner bonding, which is parts work. It's working with the inner parts, the inner kid parts and the inner adult and the and the guidance piece, working with spirit, like working with spiritual guides. That was part of the training that I had in this work called inner bonding. And so I did that for my own healing. But then I also started working with clients. So my whole life became healing my trauma, helping people heal their trauma and doing inner child work. And that meant like rescuing parts of myself from all kinds of memories and experiences that seemed impossible and growing a loving adult, which takes a lot of time when you have been so crushed as a kid. It, you know, it just takes so much work, so much practice, so much failing, so much despair, so much gathering of resources and community and friends. And luckily I'm an extrovert. So I've just have just like threw myself into relationships in a good way. I have amazing friends, long-term friends that I've had now for like 25, 30 years that are just my family. And I love them and I love their children and they hold me and I hold them. And oh, and co-counseling. I'm a big co-counselor. That's a peer-to-peer -peer counseling practice. And anyway, I've worked really hard to make sure that when I had my child at 42 years old, that I would not pass down even an inch of that trauma. I was not going to have a kid unless I did that. And then I was just making sure, you know, as hard as I could, that I would never, ever, ever hurt my child in any capacity like I was hurt. And the good news is I haven't. I haven't, but I realized when she was five that if I continue to coerce, control, punish, withdraw my love, judge her, that I was going to create a separation that did remind me of me and my mother. And that's when my whole life turned around. I decided I'm going to do something really radical and I'm going to treat her like a full equal and I'm going to start to take her opinions and her needs and her desires 
as serious as mine and collaborate with her. And, and so that's how we got here <laughs> to this podcast and to now that now my life's work is helping parents really look at like, if you, if you continue to treat your child like less than uh, equal to you, what is going to happen with that relationship? And it's bad news. Wow. Thank you so much for telling, you know, your story because some of that I did not know. And a lot of what, what I was thinking about when you were talking was you must really get it when you hear parents say like, I feel like I can't do non-coercion because I get so triggered or I just really want to be a gentle parent, but I just, I have so much stuff. You must really get what they mean when they say that. I, I do, except that for some reason, for as much work as I did, I've never wanted in my life ever to hit my kid. Mm -hmm. I guess that's not totally true. That's not totally true. I have had moments. Also, she used to hit me and I, boy, did I want to hit her back like right when she would hit me. Well, that um, visceral, like that, that, yeah, just that reaction, that very human response is, oh is God. It's not something you can just shove away and pretend, yeah, and just not have. I do get that. I do get that. I guess what I'm saying is, is you've actually experienced such a hell, like a true hell. Yeah. That when people tell you about their hell, obviously as a trauma therapist yourself, but like at the human level, you get that. And when these parents are speaking with you about their challenges, I feel like you must get that in a way that is so human. Yeah, I do get it. And I have so much love and respect for any person, either a parent or not, who wants to look at themselves because my parents never looked at themselves. So any person or human that's like, God, I really want to face this. I'm just like, I love you. I'm here for this. My whole life is dedicated to people like that. Yeah. But it makes you um, a really easy person to talk to because when I was telling you all about my own experiences and how I find myself getting triggered because of the, the stuff that's old, mm. like you really get it. And that's what probably brings us all to you. You're like a, in the vulnerable, like in your vulnerability and in your honesty and in your humanity, you really freaking get what it means to look at yourself in the mirror and show up for your kid and try and try and try and repair and repair and repair. Like you're not somebody who's on a pedestal being like, here, follow my program. Here's my formula. I promise you this. <laughs> if you do this, you'll get this. It's like, we talked about the promises and that's all very true. We can assure you some things, but you actually get what it means to do the hard work. And that's what makes you such a relatable and actually helpful person to learn from. Well, thank you. And Yes. And it's ongoing, man. I mean, I woke up, was it this morning? I, I led my parents support group and I woke up in a total backlash. Like you're not allowed to be so visible. You're not allowed to be seen. It's dangerous. You know, I have so much I have to do to continue to be me mm -hmm. every, every single day. It's so much fucking work for me. I'm still having flashbacks. Yeah. I still have flashbacks all the time. I still get new information about how bad it was. Another corner, another aspect. Mm. Uh, and there's still huge chunks of it I can't handle at all. I cannot handle. I've just been dealing with my mom material for the last two years after being so avoidant of it. 
yeah, I kind of worked on like my evil dad for like years and years and years and years. And I've had to like, yeah. So like, and then, then I have to work on my siblings losing my siblings. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just like endless. So even though that is true, I feel like I wish that gets a point where I could just say, and then I coasted. And then I was healed. Yeah. And then it was easy. It's never easy. But I do get a lot of like, I do have a lot of love and I do have a lot of rewards of my hard work, like my closeness with my daughter is like this huge, victorious, like generation curse breaker, like, holy fuck, like I fucking did it. You know, they, they never got their hands on her. They never got to see her. They'll never meet her. They'll fucking die and I'll never meet my kid. And that's like the best thing I ever did. Was that too intense what I just said? No, I think that that's just <laughs> deserves like a pause and a like a, a moment of recognition for that. Because like, I think all of us on TikTok who are Googling the shit out of, and we find you and we, you know, we're looking at parenting stuff. Like most of us are generational cycle breakers. Mm. Um, but that also brings me to this question that I have too, is like when um, people don't relate to that intensity of trauma like I know in my circles, I don't know a lot of folks who have dealt with intense trauma. I mean, I'm probably, I know everybody's, obviously everybody's has their shit, but in terms of like my connections in my intimate circles, social relationships, I feel like I have been through the most. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I do wonder if people will listen to this and our stories and think, well, I haven't had that happen to me, you know? I don't think I'm going to mess up my kid because I don't really, I don't really lose my shit very often and I'm cool. And, you know, I've got it all figured out in terms of emotional regulation. Like well, my life's pretty good or um, I haven't been through that stuff. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm okay. And I don't need to do that work. Maybe is, I wonder if, if people will feel like that. Kara, I think it's, I think it's more that people don't recognize the traumas that they've lived through. I think, you know, when yes. you say you've been through the most, that's probably not true. You probably mm -hmm. are just around people who don't know they have trauma. That's, that's more common than anything. Everyone, no one had perfect parents. We live in an absolutely traumatic world. Just fucking being a kid turning on the television is trauma. The, the, we live in a racist, white supremacist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, trauma world it's a trauma vortex there's no school is traumatic middle school is traumatic peer abuse is traumatic puberty is traumatic for some people are you kidding everyone has some kind of trauma neglect neglect is the the trauma that no one ever recognizes like well my parents are pretty nice we never talked about our feelings they my mother never hugged me but it was fine or i was hit and that was fine or i was punished and that was fine you know all of that normalizing of abuse and coercion mm -hmm. that's what i wanted you to get at because what i guess i'm saying is when people tell me well it's not that deep and i haven't really been through all that much like i have a great relationship with my parents for example or it's pretty good or you know it's run of the mill it's normal so i just think that you know i don't really have to make that connection between trauma and how it relates to parenting because you know in their opinion they're saying like i haven't been traumatized i've had a I had a good upbringing. I had a great childhood, things like that. And but you I don't even have to call it trauma. You could yeah. just say, how are, let's just watch someone parent and, you, and it says it all. They don't even exactly. have to, you can just see it right there in real time. 
That's it. It goes back to our what's wrong with coercion conversation. What I'm also thinking about is the folks who are like not on board with this idea that actually trauma, our our stories, the way that we've normalized our own experiences and our enmeshment with our parents, that relates to all parenting, not just Kara Mathias, but all parenting. Everybody, like you said, has been through shit. Everybody should look at themselves in the mirror to figure out how that's coming into their parenting. And that's what we're yeah. here to talk about today is our trauma and sharing our stories. And like, we can, you know, invite people into our experiences and be vulnerable with everybody. I, I want to do that. But I also want to make the point that if you haven't been through that, you've still been through something and it's yeah. worth looking into. Yeah. You know, I posted this morning, I posted a new uh, video on TikTok and it was a video of me enacting a scene I saw in a restaurant a couple weeks ago of this father with his daughter at least it appeared like a father and a daughter. I don't know if it was. <laughs> I don't know if that's their right gender identities, but that that's what it appeared. She was crying and he was holding food and she would and he kept saying, Stop whining. Stop whining. I don't like your whining. You cannot have a bite until you stop whining. And I kept, How old was the kid? I don't know. Maybe she was three, mm. four. For some reason he was feeding her, but he wouldn't give her a bite until she stopped whining. And I kept passing by so I could watch it because I'm like oh I really want to see how this is she kept saying I can't stop whining he would say you need to stop whining she'd be like I can't stop whining and then he kept saying I do not like it when you whine and then finally he fed her a bite and she goes see you don't have to whine to get what you want you can just say I want a bite you don't have to whine it was so excruciating for me and it's like that's just normal for most people. Like most people watching that would be like, well, that seems pretty normal. Most parents are like that, but mm -hmm. that's enough. That's enough shaming and reactivity that someone should look like that. Dad should look at his process. He should mm -hmm. look at why that's so triggering for him that his daughter whines. That's enough. He doesn't even have to identify some massive wounded, mm -hmm. you know, child. It's just like, that's enough behavior and that's nothing you know that's really light but like these stories parent. come up all the time it's so true i have one from yesterday grocery store a man came up to me he had a daughter in his cart that was similar age to my daughter um and my daughter's 16 months and so she was just sitting in the car she was eating a bunch of blueberries that's how she was sitting in the cart because she was snacking he commented on my daughter's behavior he said how do you get your kid to sit so still look at this well-behaved kid and talking to his kid and saying that and I, I thought that was the funniest thing ever because Rathia knows that I voice know her all the time being like my kid in the grocery store is a nightmare for me because I have to do the blueberries and the oh, oranges and the talking and the engagement and it, but it's really just, it's normal toddler behavior at the end of the day, developmentally normal. Why would she want to sit in a cart for an hour while I get food? Like, why would she want to do that? That's not biologically appropriate for her to be doing. So this man commented on that. And I was, I found that so hilarious because it's never me with the quote unquote, well-behaved kid in any right. indoor environment. Like that's just not her. So anyways, he, but his kid was climbing in from the cart seat to the back of the cart and in and out and in and out. And he was really, he could, he was really stressed, but he was making a joke and he was alone. So poor, poor guy. I felt for him because he didn't know really kind of what to do. And then I ended up, we we went on our way and I just laughed and I said like, oh, I'm just talking to her. You know, I can't even answer your question. I'm so exhausted. I can't even think because I've got the blueberries and I've got the pouch and I've got the, <laughs> I've got the songs and the dances and that's what I'm doing to keep her engaged. Right. 
And then we just laughed and he went on. And then I left actually when I was in the line because Aaliyah started kind of like, I think she wanted to like climb on the conveyor belt. And I was like, well, we'll just go to the car and wait for him. And um, so we left. And my husband came and he told me, he said, you know, that guy that was talking to, I saw him and his daughter was losing it because he wouldn't let her out of the car. She kept trying to climb into his arms as he was putting groceries. And I guess he felt like he couldn't do both at once. And so he was forcing her back in. Sanjay tells me he's like he was forcing her back in and he just kept jam, kind of jamming her in there and putting her in there and oh. pushing her in there. And that's true. That's another example of that father would benefit, I think, from looking at it, not from a behaviorist lens, but from a, a completely different lens, like a, re- a self-reflection lens on what what happened in the store. How did I respond? Why was I so frustrated that then right. I ended up, you know, physically forcing her in? Was there another way? What was going on for me in that moment? Because again, that was not about the child's behavior. Of course, she wanted to climb out, right? But that is what makes a conscious parent. When we say a non-coercive conscious, a conscious parent turns the focus back to themselves and gets curious and has an inquiry process. That mm-hmm. is what makes a parent a conscious parent. They're not perfect. They fuck it up over and over again, but they keep asking the question, what is it hitting in me? What's it reminding me of? What happened to me when I was a kid and I tried to blah, 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 blah. How am I acting like my parent? You know, all of that. That's the difference between uh, trauma just getting passed down and like, you know, being worked on. And even if even if it's messy, just having even some consciousness makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really what I wanted to comment on today was just about this idea that like that man in the grocery store might not have been through like big capital T trauma, but that man still would benefit from having a self-reflection moment. And instead of looking at it from like, let me try to condition my kid in this behaviorist lens that I just think is the norm. Even in the content that we look at on Instagram today, I don't know if you're seeing it, but I'm seeing it all the time. It's conditioning. It's all about conditioning. Do it enough times to your kid, whether it's a uh, reinforcement of a behavior or Mm -hmm. a consequence of a behavior, like ignoring things you don't want to see, things like that. All of these behaviorist strategies are are still being shared on the main parenting accounts that I, I at least see on my socials. Those are so hard for me that I don't, I don't follow people like that. I can't stand it. See, I follow it because I want to know what's, what people are getting. Like, I want to know what people are getting so that I can comment on it. You know, I think people would just benefit from like throwing out behaviorism because it's just, we're not, these are not, we're not trying to uh, train dogs here. (laughs) We're trying to grow people and conditioning as a concept and behaviorism as a concept. There's so much wrong with it. Because it's, it's actually all centers out from the idea of control, that there is a controller and a controlee and behaviorism. It's, it's, it is traumatizing really at the end of the day. But here's the key. Here's the key. If you control your child all day, you do not have to look at your own pain. Mm -hmm. Anytime your kid does something that's upsetting to you, you can just do something to make them do it differently. Even if you spend all your time in a power struggle with your child, you can still keep your focus outside of yourself. Then it's, of course, judging your kid because your kid isn't isn't an extrovert enough or isn't clean enough or too scattered or doesn't have good attention or picks their nails. or You can always find things that are wrong with your children that are so disappointing and just keep your focus on trying to change that. And also like withdrawing your love when you don't like the things about them. Mm. And that's horrible it's like a form of emotional 
torment for children who have to make themselves what you want in order to get the attachment that they need and survive. Yeah. And that the, the ways that they do that are not always visible to us. The children, the way the, the children, children do Yeah. The way that the children will internalize what we're doing to them and then change their behaviors and act in ways that they are processing as going to be beneficial to the attachment. We don't always, we don't always recognize that, that that's what no. they're doing. We, we might even internalize that as again, more bad behavior or yeah. really good behavior, but their goal is always to remain safe in the relationship because that's survival for them. Well, what's interesting is they have to remain safe in the relationship, but they also have to try to maintain autonomy. And yes. it's like a deep, complex dance. So, Kara, do you want to take a little time and just talk about anything, anything related to your trauma that you think is relevant and tell your story a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I lost my brother in, uh, in 2019 and he was my only sibling and my very best friend. And I think for me to come to a non-coercive lens and be able to really identify what that is and why I want that is because my brother treated me that way. Like he was like a 10 years older than me. So my brother Russell was 10 years older than me and, um, he was never a parent figure, but we were always very, very close when I was born. He was totally in love with me and treated me like, um, gold. And that lasted our entire relationship. And he died when I was 25, um, suddenly and very, very traumatically. And, um, that's where I got so much of my, um, sense of self, I think. And, and the affirmation that I was good the way that I was and that I didn't have to change and that I was just straight up awesome <laughs> and and not needing to like mold because I had Russell who kept affirming that in me without mm -hmm. needing to control my behavior because he was just my brother. So I, 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 losing Russell was like losing, was just like losing so much of my self-esteem, so much of my identity and sense of worth. Mm. It's just really wrapped up in my parenting because you can't get that from parents who behave in authoritative ways. Um, you just can't, it's just, it's not possible. So for me to realize all of this through therapy and doing my own healing and looking at myself and the ways that I act and what my triggers are really, it's all linked to what I had and what I don't have anymore and what that means for me and how I engage in my life now. And I just, I just feel like it, it's, easy for me to see what it's like to have a non-coercive person in your life from birth. And it's also easy to, for me to see what it's like when you lose that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want my daughter to be raised without that. Like I, not just mm -hmm. be, not just from the um, idea that like I reject the idea of authority in parenting, but because that experience of being loved unconditionally like that without control in a relationship is something that like you can't even explain like how deep and meaningful mm -hmm. that is. So that's my trauma is having lost that and um, not having my brother here to hear me talk about him like this. It's really, I'm trying really hard not to cry. Yeah. It's painful. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I can really feel the rupture. So intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's like going through an, an identity crisis and, um, feeling like you're not whole because you don't have that person telling you that you are. So for me, parenting my daughter in that way and bringing her up to my adult perspective of equality and deep meaning and rejecting the idea that I am the sage, all-knowing, teaching person that needs to mold her. Channel this idea that I got from my brother and the relationship I had with him that was just like, you are just great, just the way you are. That's really all there is to it. (laughs) I think it's worth noting that your parents did not do that. So that that's what makes Russell all the more amazing is that that usually we hope the parent would do it, but you had a brother. Yeah. Well, it's like it's it's just one of those things that has to be said that it like I just don't think that my parents in that generation of parenting, like that just wasn't even on the agenda. It just wasn't even on the radar. Like building my self-esteem in that way was not known to them. It just wasn't. It just it was not known to them. It was about behavior, it was about Essentially, it was about raising your kid to be like a productive member of society. Right. And that was the importance, not right. like having right. a peer type relationship or like a really like unconditionally loving relationship. It was it was like, let's make sure our kids get with the program. Yeah, but Kira, that's still how society is. That's still I mean, yes. I know you're saying it's generational and, and yes, there's new thinking now, but that is still mostly how people think about parenting it is it is and um and schools and, and schools schools are all like that i mean all schools are like that yeah yeah because because making making our, our kids functional is you know it's also because parents feel so engulfed by their children they feel so overwhelmed and invaded by their children's needs that they need to see very early on that their child is going to become independent and get the fuck away from them. You know what I mean? Like so much of parenting is about, oh no, I have to make my kid functional. Otherwise they're going to still be an amoeba that is like attached to me. And that's horrifying. Yeah. We're going to transition into giving some input about how to start looking at your own trauma what are a couple of tools or lenses you can look through to start to become a conscious parent if you're not already or you just want more information so we're just going to head in that direction for the last quarter of this we wanted to shift into in this part of the episode what can you do instead right if you're used to following a behaviorist approach whereby you're using punishments, rewards, you're using ignoring, like you're just trying to focus on the behaviors all the time and fix your kid. Then what do you do instead? And Rathia came up with a really cool acronym um, that we'll share with you, but it came from, I imagine probably your work with trauma in general, right, Rathia? Like this is something that you would use for when you're feeling triggered. And this is like a step-by-step strategy, right? Well, it's abridged. I made it much like I tried to make it shorter and simpler than sort of if I was going to do a full process with somebody. Right. 
So I came up with perk, which which I can go through what that is, but it's like it's like simplified. Obviously, if you want your lifestyle to be about exploring your triggers, you're going to need support, all kinds of support and all kinds of ways to do it. This is just something to start thinking about as like a framework. So like first is pause. <laughs> pause is like the most powerful word in terms of parenting. I can't think of a more powerful word than pause. Um, pause and back up. So much of me coming out of coercion has been pausing. And even still, even still, I'm biting my tongue a lot. I'm telling myself, Shh, don't talk, be quiet. Just listen, just listen a lot. I'm still doing that even after how long has it been? Seven years of this, of this work with her. Yeah. I want to fix it all the time. And uh, the other night I said something I really regretted. Ugh. We were talking about body image and I just said something that was really not good and was wounded and I regretted it. And then I had to like sit with myself. I'm so scared. I'm going to give my kid a, a complex, Ugh, you know, I really just need to listen. And then sometimes she'll ask me or sometimes I'm clear what I need to say. But if you're unclear, you're reactive or you're triggered, you need to pause and back up. Then emotion, you sit with your emotion. It's great to know like the five main emotions, which is mad, sad, scared, ashamed, and happy. Happy is also a feeling. So you pause and then you try to see, what am I feeling? Am I mad? Am I scared? Am I sad? And usually if it's very charged, it's very hard to take it off your kid and put it on you. And that's why it's so important for you to figure out what you're feeling. I was just doing a live with, with a creator on TikTok that I love. And she was saying, that sometimes she's just sitting there sweating in her feelings and in, in order to not act out on her kid, she has to sit there and just like sweat because she has all this violence in her background. And so she wants to have like a really strong violent reaction. So she has to sit there, almost hold herself down and sweat. <laughs> and for me, I have a partner, so I can actually often, if he's there, leave the room. And actually my daughter's old enough now that I can say, honey, I'm going downstairs. I have to go. I have to, I'll be back. You know, if I'm getting triggered, you know, then R is remember, because all your triggers are coming from the past, man. They come from something. They don't come from nothing. Uh, last night in my parent support group, people were talking about cleaning and picking up and how triggering that is for everybody. So what you have to stop and remember, what happened to me when I didn't pick up my stuff, when I didn't put my dishes on the sink, when I didn't do my dishes, when I, you know, when I left a mess, when, you know, what happened to me? And you have to get to the point where you actually empathize with the child, not the adult, the child in the story. Remember means remember yourself as a child, not remember your parent who was judging you and now do the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to get inside what it truly felt like for you as the child. And then the last part is comfort. So if you have a memory of being yelled at, you want to go into the memory and get your kid and hold that little kid and say, that was not your fault. You did the best you could. They were, they were, you know, in their own stuff. That was about them. That was not about you. You're a wonderful child. You're a wonderful person. You want to like really go back in time and comfort the child that you were. Now, this is a deep, deep study. It's a hard thing to do. It takes time. You can do it through journaling and drawing. You can do it in your mind. You can visualize it. You can hold a stuffed animal. I know that sounds nuts, but it really helps. Sometimes it really helps to hold your actual child and imagine yourself as a child. Like your kid is you and you're holding yourself as a kid. I used to do that with my daughter a lot. That would really choke me out. And then once you've comforted yourself and you're not projecting the whole story onto your child, you can actually comfort your real child.
you know, that's the thing. I, I screwed up. I said something wounded with my child the other day about body image and I'm going to go back and repair it. I'm waiting to get through my triggers with it because I'm still triggered about it. And then I'm going to go back and say, you know what? I said this thing to you and I didn't feel really great about it. I wish I'd said this. And I didn't mean that. What did, what did you think when I said that? And I can go back and repair with her. You can always go back and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I reacted. I'm sorry I did this or that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the last step is comfort your child. And the acronym is P-E-R-C, PERC. It's pause, emotions, remember, and comfort. The first step, though, is is identifying and really accepting that we're triggered. Like identifying when and accepting that it's true. That's hard sometimes for people. Like, no, I'm not triggered. You're just pissing me off. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> triggered. You just won't get in the goddamn car, you know? Yeah. Like, no, you're yeah. triggered, though. Which is why I I have given my daughter uh, the words to say, Mom, are you triggered? She asks yeah. me that a lot. Mom, are you triggered? Mom, you seem triggered. She'll say, Mom, you seem triggered. She says it to my partner, too. Sometimes she said to both of us, she goes, you two are just so triggered right now. Well, no, but it's like, that's so really helpful because I'm doing that sometimes with my husband. If he's tense and I'm noticing like a disconnect between us, I'll point out that to him and I'll say like, I think maybe there's something going on. Something's up. If our kids can point that out to us, that's really actually helpful. We have to be very conscious though already to accept that and allow that to be helpful instead of being hurtful, which I think most parents, like not conscious parents who are learning about this or, or maybe just like don't know about it at all, would maybe find that to be presumptuous or insulting, right? That like a, if our kids point out, hey, you're triggered or you're you're being an asshole or you're being a dick, right? Parents are going to take that a lot of the time as, wow, you're the dick. Yeah. You, know, you can't assume about me, da, 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 this defensiveness, this reactivity. Yeah. We have to yeah. really be open to the fact that we are triggered and we do get triggered and it's okay to be triggered. Right. And, and just as, and just as we have a reason for being triggered, our kids have a reason for being triggered. Exactly. Like, I guess just like normalizing the fact that like being triggered is, is a, like a part of being human. Yes. To want to have like a, a, a serenity about you all the time. It reminds you of the Seinfeld episode serenity now. Right. Like, I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, but anyways, I love Seinfeld, but right. I don't know that. George's dad is, is like serenity now. And, and it's just all about like channeling calm. But the humor of, of the episode is that he's the most irrational, angry man on, on the planet. Right. But he's always like, serenity now. and it's like a waste of his time. <laughs> like That's the joke because it is uh, having to channel calm and saying that like, no, I'm good. I don't get triggered. You know, my kids, the problem it's about them. It's about them. It's just a waste of everybody's time. Like let's normalize <laughs> being triggered and let's normalize the reality that is the constant swinging pendulum of human emotions. Well, the, so the non-coercive path creates a culture of mutuality. That's the whole point is it creates a, a culture in your home that everyone's equal. Everyone has problems. Everyone has issues. Everyone's challenged. And so no one's better than anyone else. And no one gets to say what someone else should be doing as much as possible. I know it's hard to believe when I say that. I imagine parents going, what are you talking about? You have to tell children what to do. That's like, well, you can guide your child while teaching, while treating them like a whole uh, autonomous human being. And just allowing your own feelings to be is such a big part of that. 
their feelings and your feelings. Yes. Because if we, because the thing is, is if we can't allow our own feelings, how the fuck are we supposed to allow our kids? Right. So we have to start by allowing our own feelings. We do. That's, That's where perk comes in. Thank you for being present to this very deep uh, episode where we just really shared some deep emotional material. And I hope it models for you that whatever you've been through really matters. And you deserve to be heard in that place. You deserve to be seen in that place. Whatever you live through, it matters. This has been Your Kids Don't Suck. You can find me, Kara Tedstone at www.caratedstonetherapy.com and on Instagram at caratedstonetherapy. On my website, you'll find links to recommended readings and a link to my Reparenting with Mindfulness workbook, available now on Amazon. You can find me, Rathia Lee, at www.rathia.com. That's R-Y-T-H-E-A.com. There you'll find published books, articles, and music, and parenting videos. Also, I'm on TikTok at Rathia Lee, on Instagram at Rathia Lee. You can book parent mentoring sessions with me through my website. And also, I have an advice from a loving bitch YouTube show that helps people heal self-hatred, and that's Rathia.com slash advice. It is important and essential to put our voices, Rathia and Kara, in a context. We are two white cisgendered, straight, middle-class women living with financial and societal privilege. Because of this, our perspectives are limited and do not reflect the realities of all of our listeners. This podcast will feature guests with expertise around conscious parenting who differ in race, class, abilities, sexual orientation, and histories from us to broaden the conversation and reflect the lives of as many people as possible. 25% of the proceeds of this podcast will go to creators of color who have been mentors and influences on our work and in our growth as parents. If you like our show, please subscribe and stay tuned for more conscious parenting advice and insights. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash your kids don't suck to donate and connect with us.